Well, I quite like doing something before I come and talk because it keeps my mind occupied, keeps my hands busy. Um, so thank you to Paul. We're doing a bit of a tag team um, on the sound desk today. Um, so this is the second time I've done this now. Um, I would say that Mark obviously thought it was okay and he invited me back, but actually this date was here in the diary before the previous one. Um, <laughs> and so I've got a message today which is not one that, um, that Mark told me to do. So the, the one that I did before, he said, please could you share this one that you did from TruthQuest? This one, he just gave me a date. And I thought, gosh, what, what should I preach on? And I thought it'd be quite nice if I could find a topic where I could do almost like a mini-series where things would stand alone, but also work together on a theme. Um, and I was, uh, I was on my way out one evening to the local shop because I really needed chocolate, you know, the sort of trip. And on my way there, I was saying, God, what should I preach on? What would you like me to preach on? And I felt him say to me, what are you passionate about? And so here we have something that I'm really passionate about, which is discernment. Now, my lovely kids knew I was preaching this morning. They knew I was going to be doing the talking. Um, and after we've got a little worship team picnic thing, and earlier this week I was saying to them, well, you know, we're having a picnic at church after, um, after the meeting on Sunday. And Sophie's little brain started whirring, and she looked at me and she said, are we having lunch at church because you've got a lot to say? <laughs> so I do have a lot to say but actually I've split it onto two weeks instead <laughs> so um, this is a topic that I wish were taught more across the church as a whole the, the global church not specifically talking about here um, but in general I wish this was something that we really um, applied ourselves to and we were really active about it. So this first one that I'm going to do is called Why Discernment? And it's about um, the importance of discernment and how do we grow in it? How do we do that? What is it? How do we get better at it? So the first thing that I did was look up the word discernment in the dictionary. Um, and in the English dictionary, it tells us it means the ability to judge well. And I looked at two Greek words that I found that are used in the New Testament for discernment. And I got this sense from the, the translations of um, perceiving and distinguishing, deciding, or being able to cut through an ethical haziness. And I quite liked that phrase, cutting through an ethical haziness. I can't say it, but I like it. Um, I think quite often we major on not judging, don't we? Because, you know, we think, well, we mustn't judge other people, judge not lest we be judged, this kind of thing. And so it, it's quite easy to fall into this trap that says, well, I'm, I, I'm not going to judge anything. But actually, it's really important that we learn what the discernment kind of judging is and how to grow in that and how to, to make wise decisions on things. Um, so I've split this topic into two sections. 
And the other day, I was having a chat after the meeting with Cheryl. And in a quite jokey way, I said to her, well, my first one is about how to spot dodgy teaching. And the second one is about how to spot dodgy people. <laughs> and <laughs> afterwards, I went away and thought, I probably shouldn't have raised it like that. A few days later, I got a phone call from Mark. <laughs> he said, I'm pretty sure that I know you well enough, but Cheryl is bothering that you're going to stand up and name a load of names. I'm like, no, no. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's really not on my agenda. Don't be concerned about that. Um, I sent Mark my notes just to calm his nerves, and he's okay with it. Um, but actually, the Bible has got a lot to say about wolves in sheep's clothing. And when I started looking into it, I was really shocked at actually how much and all over the place it, it talks about that. So in my next one, whenever that will be, um, I'm going to look at trying to pull all of that together to see what can we sort of do a data analysis on it and say what, what can we learn from what the Bible tells us about that. So today I've got, uh, I've got a text that we're starting from, from Philippians 1, verses 9 to 10. And, I, and this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve the things that are excellent in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ. So what this is talking about is a broad kind of discernment that is available to everybody. This is something that he's praying over the whole church. It's something that should be available to all of us. This is not talking about a specific gifting of discernment, which does exist. And I was going to try and put together a message on that, and I decided in the end I couldn't find enough things to feel confident in doing it, so I've, I've left that. Um, but this, this is for all of us. This is not just to a few specific people. This is all of us that we can operate in this, and we can grow in it. Um, it enables us, as it says, to approve the things that are excellent. In Hebrews 5, it says, Solid food is for the mature, for those who have the powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. So essentially, this is us learning right from wrong. It's learning good from evil, but how God sees it, not how the world sees it. And it sounds quite simple, doesn't it? We like to think that we know right from wrong. You know, we think we learn that from quite a young age. But Paul here is praying that we would still abound more and more. This isn't a binary thing. This isn't we've got it or we haven't got it. This is something we can grow in. This is something that we can get into a deeper and deeper uh, ability with as we walk with Christ closer and closer. And Hebrews shows us that we need constant practice to be mature in it. So maybe actually it isn't quite as simple as, as it first appears. Before we get really stuck into it though, I want to talk about why I'm so passionate about this. Um, so I want to take you back to where it began. I want you to picture my 16 to 17 year old self. Yeah, I was really skinny. <laughs> Twins of the pandemic have uh, certainly not helped that. 
I was really, really blessed to grow up in a really stable Christian home. Um, I was at the same church for 17 years by this point. I think I was about 17 there. Um, And that church, much like this one, felt like an extended family. It was a really good place to grow up. It wasn't perfect because it was people, but it it was a good place. Um, And in my earlier years, the pastor of the church was really old. So I think he had founded the church pretty much. And um, he'd grown too old to effectively look after it. And so many people from the congregation were keeping it going. And we had a different preacher every week. Um, and that, that went on like that for years. So we were in this kind of limbo situation. And the church had a really strong tradition in the Holy Spirit. Um, but the way that that was expressed was by that point a bit dated you know some of the songs were quite old and and so for me as a a youngster um yeah it felt a little bit dated at times but it was a good place I had a lot of friends there in my early teens everything changed because we've got a new pastor and he was young and he was enthusiastic and he was charismatic and suddenly church seemed really exciting He came, really, at just the right time to keep me in church, I think, in life. And I'm really grateful for that. And for a few years, everything was really, it was amazing. You know, it was exciting. And he used to talk about revival in such a way that I felt like any week Pentecost could happen again. You know, we we just had that sense in us that we could turn up one week and suddenly there'd be thousands of people at church. Um, And then one one day, I don't know when exactly, a really small thing happened. Someone gave him a book, and it was on a new way of trying to do church, um, which we've now come to call a seeker-sensitive approach. And he was really inspired by this. Like a lot of other good-hearted leaders, he really wanted to see new converts. And so he started to take the church in this direction. Um, So we became seeker-sensitive focused and really excellence-focused. So as a youth, in his youth group, we heard a lot of his plans, his ideas quite early. He would share those with us, and it seemed really exciting. You know, I was quite young. I was up for all this sort of thing, and we tried to be really slick and really professional. I was on the worship team, and we had a dress code. Um, You can see I've kind of given up on any idea of something like that now. Um, We had a colour scheme, and I felt really important. I really felt like part of something. Um, And all these ideas that were coming in, they all seemed like they made sense. I was quite young. I was quite impressionable. I took it all on board, and I was like, you know, this is great. But then my parents were not so sure. And behind closed doors at home, they were asking some questions as to how biblical some of these ideas were. And so the... More and more, I found myself, I was with the youth or the worship team, and I was hearing all this stuff, and it made sense. And then at home, I was hearing these other points of view, and they made sense too. But the two opposed each other. And I felt like I was right in the middle going, I don't know what the truth is. Would someone please come and tell me what, which one is true? I don't want to be misled. And both of these seem to be backed up by the word, as far as I could see at that young age. 
And I spent a lot of time crying out to God, please show me what the truth is. I don't want to be deceived. I want to know what the real truth is and just follow that. I want, you know, um, I didn't realize it, but what I was crying out for really was discernment. And it was quite an uncomfortable time. It went on for a few years. Um, you know, God didn't just suddenly go and make everything better and easy for me. But it did. It, he used it to spark this deep desire in me to find some kind of real truth that I can put roots into, something I can trust. I don't know if other people can identify with that kind of feeling where you're stood between two different things and they kind of both make sense, but both they, they, they don't fit together. They oppose each other. Um, it, it was probably my first real experience of that, but it certainly wasn't my last. I don't think it will be my last going forward either, um, especially when you consider how society has moved on. Um, there was a, an era called postmodernism, which I think you probably have come across the term. That was from about the end of the 50s and 60s, and that ran until about the end of the millennium. From the year 2000 onwards, we went from postmodernism into post-postmodernism, or post-millennialism. And then around about 2016, people started to suggest that we were in a new era entering a new era. Does anyone know the name of the era that we're supposedly in now? People refer to it as the post-truth era. Isn't that awful? We're living in this age of moral relativism where more and more people believe that everyone's got their own truth. You know, I can decide what's true for me, you can decide what's true for you, and we're not allowed to criticize each other. Um, and actually what it comes down to a lot of the time is that we're letting our feelings inform our truth rather than letting the truth inform our feelings. And so one of the reasons that I'm more and more passionate about the need for discernment is because this is the world we're currently inhabiting. One where the idea of truth is really unset and anyone can kind of make up what they think is the truth. Um, you know, we're living on this, the other side of this continual shift to get rid of the idea of ob objective truth, try and make everything subjective to the individual. But here's the thing. There is such a thing as real and unshakable truth that you can use as a foundation for life. The truths of God, they are so much bigger and so much greater than any individual but we still find ourselves in this world having to try and navigate it. And we still find ourselves having to try and teach our children how to navigate a world that tells them things like this. <laughs> I, I pulled these off the internet. They were not difficult to find. We've got trust your instincts and make judgments on what your heart tells you. Your heart will not betray you. Sometimes you have to follow your heart no matter the consequences. Follow your heart, it knows the way. Or sometimes you have to stop thinking so much and just get to where your heart takes you. Have we seen stuff like this? Yeah, this is everywhere. This is in films, this is in movies, this is all over social media, this kind of thing. And we've probably seen Christians sharing it as well, because we look at it and we think, oh, it looks quite nice, you know. We don't necessarily engage our brain with it. 
Um, but does anyone spot the problem with it? Has your discernment kind of gone, mm. <laughs> yeah, it's wrong. Have a look at these verses. Jeremiah 17, 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? And Proverbs 14, 12. There's a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. So we can see the problem now, can't we? And I want to point out that first one, that Jeremiah one, that's not Jeremiah having a whinge. That's God saying that. When you look at the context of that, that's God saying that. So we, you know, we need to pay attention. This shows us not just the importance of discernment, but it shows us how it works, too. You know, I like to know how things work. I like to take them apart, examine them. You know, that's why I quite like things like the sound desk. You know, I quite like seeing, okay, how does this work? I plug this in here and here, and that should make that happen. Um, so I don't want to just convince you that discernment's important. That's a pretty easy job. But I would like to try and show you a bit more of how it works so that wherever we're at, and I'm aware that there'll be people that are further on than I am, but that hopefully we can continue to grow in it. So let's have a look at, in Acts at the Bereans. You can't really talk about discernment without talking about the Bereans. It says, these Jews were more receptive than those in Thessalonica, for they welcomed the message very eagerly and examined the scriptures every day to see whether these things were so. And this is the foundational key to discernment. And if there's one thing that I would want everyone to take away today, if you only hear one thing and remember it, it's this, that we should take everything that we hear, both in church and in the world, and we should examine the word to see if these things are true. The Bible is our plumb line. I don't know if you've come across a plumb line before. My dad had one when I was little, and we used to use it for hanging wallpaper. It's like a piece of string, and it's got a weight on the end. And you hold it up with the weight on the bottom, and it enables you to make an exactly vertical line. And why, why would you need that? It's because your own judgment is not accurate enough. And the, our plumb line is the word of God. We measure against it to keep us straight. Yeah, And to me, that's really wonderful news, but it's also really overwhelming. Yeah, It's wonderful because I'm so, so grateful to have the eternal truths of God in a language that I understand for, to be able to read. But at the same time, it's overwhelming because the Bible's not a small task, is it? <laughs> it's, where do we start? How do you get going in it? And how do you continue to grow? How do we turn knowledge into discernment? Well, the Bereans were studying the scriptures daily. And there's two main points we can take out of that. First of all, they were consistent in their study. They were applying themselves to this regularly. I'm not saying we need to do it every single day. We're not going to get legalistic over it. But they were being very consistent in what they were doing. We need to make it our continual aim to increase our knowledge of what the Bible says. We need to know how it fits together. You know, we, we start out teaching children stories, right? But when we get older, we need to learn where do those stories come? How do they fit together? What's the grand picture of the word? And we need to allow the spirit to be changing our hearts as we do that. 
The other point is the Bereans were studying the scriptures. That might seem really a bit of an obvious point to make, but actually they were going directly to the source for themselves. It's really easy, I think, to neglect studying the Bible and instead read books about the Bible. Yeah, they, they, they kind of read a little bit easier at times, um, and we might ne- end up never checking these things against the Bible ourselves. Um, and when we do that, then we start, we start to struggle to notice if something's been misquoted, if a scripture's been mishandled, if it's something that the Bible doesn't actually support. Um, and these books and things, they're not necessarily bad in and of themselves, but we don't want to run the risk of becoming like a, a museum curator of other people's ideas about what the scripture means. You know, so if someone comes to us and says, oh, what do you think about this? And so, well, this preacher says this about it, or yeah, I read this book about this, rather than ever having gone to, for ourselves and decided, you know what, this is what God has said to me. In 2016, there was a, a study done in America of evangelical Christians and they gave them statements and these Christians had to say whether they agreed or disagreed with those statements. So here's our first one. My good deeds help me earn my place in heaven. (laughs) I'm glad to hear that reaction. That's good. That's encouraging. But how many people do you think agreed with that statement? 39% of evangelical Christians, this is in 2016, agreed with that statement. That's more than a third. That scares me. In 2018, they repeated this study, but with different statements. And here we've got another one. The Holy Spirit can tell me to do something that is forbidden in the Bible. (laughs) And this one... 21% of evangelical Christians surveyed agreed with this statement. 21%, that's over one in five people, thought that the Holy Spirit could tell them to do something that the Bible prohibits. If you're not sure on your answer to either of those, and I'm guessing from the reaction that you are, (laughs) but if you're not, then your homework is to study and work it out. (laughs) And as a head start, in Ephesians it says... For it's by grace you have been saved through faith. And this, not from yourselves, it's the gift of God, not by works, so no one can boast. Yeah. (laughs) But how did we get to this point? How do we make sure that we don't fall into these kinds of errors? How do we move from ignorance to being able to see that something's not quite right to then being able to explain what the truth actually is. The foundational key, as I said before, is knowing the Bible for ourselves. But we also need to understand the context. We need to understand the whole counsel of God, how, what the overarching message is, how things fit together. If we look at Jesus' temptation in Matthew 4, it says, Then the devil took him up into the holy city, set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, he shall give his angels charge over you and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, it's written again, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. What just happened there? Satan quoted scripture and 
he quoted it word for word. If this was something we'd heard in a Sunday or something, some, or you know, this was like a little Instagram slide, you know, which is just one verse out of context, um, and we'd gone and looked that up, we'd find that was absolutely bang on. But obviously there's a problem, isn't there? He was using an accurate verse to try and create a deception. He was misusing, twisting scripture to try and create this deceptive conclusion. Obviously, Jesus knows the word better than that. And hopefully we can get ourselves to a point where we do as well. The more that we study for ourselves, the more we can move beyond this trend for just little soundbite scriptures that look pretty on their own. And actually understand this big narrative that the, the word's got to say, the bigger pictures that the Bible gives us. And then we'll be equipped to spot these kinds of deceptive twists because they're definitely out there. But it's still really a daunting task, isn't it? I'm not a very good reader at all. I'm really slow. And I really empathize with anyone that thinks that it's a, a daunting task to try and get to know the word. I, I, I'm in that boat as well. And it's a mountain to climb. And honestly, doing Truth Quest has been really good for me because it's made me study the word. And doing these are really good because it's made me study it. Um, and we need to equip ourselves. We need to surround ourselves with people that will encourage us in this. And we just need to keep taking more and more steps, even if they're small. And because one day we'll turn around and realize, do you know what, I've come quite a long way, actually. I didn't really notice it at the time, but I have come a long way. We need to do our own study. We could attend good Bible studies, I'm assuming, at some point that we'll have our Zoom one starting up again. Um, and we need to apply ourselves to what's actually happening, check things ourselves against Scripture. Don't just take people's word for it. And if you're looking for somewhere to get started yourself, I'm not saying this is something you have to do, but I would say start with the core teachings of Christianity. That's what we've been doing in TruthQuest. We've looked at core fundamental points of Christianity and we've gone away and had to study them so that we make sure that we really know them. And that's the sort of thing that stops one of these, these things slipping in. Yeah? Because it's really tempting, isn't it, to get started with something that's quite controversial, the kind of things that you know, bug us a little bit. But the trouble is that periphery issues or controversial issues they can take a lot of our attention. There's nothing wrong with studying them in themselves, but they can pull our attention away from the core things. And then suddenly something like this comes in underneath because we were too busy trying to work out what we think about predestination or something. You can find yourself a creed or a statement of beliefs and start trying to find biblical evidence to back up all of these statements. It's just an idea. But the more that we do it, the more that we do apply ourselves, the greater our discernment come, becomes. Romans 12 says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. By testing you may discern. This is testing against scripture. This is not just taking everything at face value. This is testing it and saying, does this line up with the word? And look at what we're looking for. We're looking for the will of God. We're looking for the good, the acceptable, and the perfect. If we jump back to Philippians, we've got the same emphasis. 
says the aim of our discernment is that we may approve the things that are excellent. What we're focusing on here is looking for the good, looking for the godly, looking for the excellent things. We are not searching for errors. We're looking for the treasure, not looking for the wrong. You know, they say that like bankers, if they handle enough of the real stuff, then they spot a counterfeit when it comes along. And I think with the word, that's, that's how we will be. It's, it can be really tempting, I think, to start trying to focus our, ourselves on rooting out bad ministries or, you know, trying to set up a website to name and shame all the th- people that we think are getting it wrong. And, and actually, I stumbled on a website like that while I was um, trying to do this research, and it was, it was quite an uncomfortable thing <laughs> to look at. You know, because accurate or not, when we're trying to call these things out, there's a real danger there of pride, isn't there? You know, it reminds me of the, the kids. One of them will come to me and tell me, she just did this wrong. As if, you know, they're perfect because at that particular moment in time, they didn't commit that particular sin. It makes us a bit like the Pharisees, actually, doesn't it? And also, the problem with looking for errors is that we, we fail on the, the very first point in Philippians which is love. I pray that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and discernment. Because all of this is meant to flow with love. It's meant to flow out of love. You know, love is not meant to be naive and just accept everything. But it is meant to be anchored in the sound doctrine of Christ. We're meant to be wise as serpents, innocent as doves. So what about my 17-year-old self? What happened there? Well, I came to realize over time that my mum was doing a really good job of modeling the Bereans to me. The new ideas were coming, and she was sitting at home, and she was searching the word to see whether they matched up. And there were good things. There were other things that we weren't so keen on. And I reached my own conclusions in time, but I was, God's grace was really there because I just left for university and I never had to really confront anything. Um, but the lessons that I learned there um, really stayed with me and I learned to apply them to future challenges. So that's what I want to say today. Next time is this other aspect of wolves in sheep's clothing. And I am not going to give you a list. I do not have a website of all the people that I approve of and disapprove of. But what I do want to look at is what does the word itself say about how we spot them and what do we do about it? Because actually the Bible does tell us some pretty good and simple things that we're to do if we're not sure. And it says a lot about it as well. And and I'm aware that today's conclusion... (laughs) is kind of the same as the last time I stood here and preached, which is read the Bible more. Um, And I make you a promise now that the next time, I've got some different points. Um, but, But for today, wherever we're at, let's be encouraged to root ourselves in the word of God. Um, and imagine if, if every Christian around the world actually truly did do this, what might that do for the church? What might that do for the wider world? Because as Jesus said, you shall know the truth 
and the truth will set you free. Amen. Thank you, Sarah. That was so good. So, yeah, I couldn't have done that. That's brilliant. Um, I remember Sarah when she first came to Cambridge as that little 19-year-old or 18-year-old um, when we were in a different church. But, yeah, um, it's great to see how you've grown and matured. And uh, that was just fantastic. It's interesting. It's interesting, isn't it? It's so important because we do get um, so carried away sometimes by things, don't we? I, I, I don't know if this fits, but I'm going to tell you anyway. I'm going to wedge it in and make it make you fit. But this morning, I was dreaming this morning. And it wasn't a spiritual dream as such, but I was in a situation where I was being a little bit hassled to share something. And I got my phone out to help somebody. And all of a sudden, this person snatched my phone and ran off. And I woke up kind of thinking, whoa, you know, that was, that was what's going on. But let me apply it like this, that the enemy wants to snatch your phone. Yeah, on my phones, my bank. I'm going to make sure I've got it with me so you don't nick it. But on my back, it's everything. My life is on my phone. Then we want to take it away. Yeah, and we need to be discerning to stand firm on the things that God has put in our lives and God has said for us that, um, that, 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 that we don't allow the enemy to take those things because he's come to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus came to give us life. And, uh, you know, if we, if we do the things that Sarah said, we, we study the scriptures, we really learn... We will, we will stop the enemy stealing our phone, our life, and even more important things than that. Okay, because that's what he wants to do. He wants to take. So let's be those who get into the Word, study the Word. You know, it's that whole, whole thing about a journey of a thousand miles starts with a single step, doesn't it? You know, don't just keep looking at the maps, but start. Start looking. If you haven't started uh, reading the Word since Sarah's last preach, um, please. Because she's only going to have to say it again. You know, God will tell her to say it again. So, you know, anyway, she's coming back. Are you? There you go. Just really quickly, I, I wasn't sure whether to say this or not, because I don't, you know, I, I don't like things that start out as um, something and then turn into an advert. Um, but I am intending to, and if I tell you this, then you can hold me to it, but I'm intending to try and start a Bible study, which will be probably on a Tuesday morning. Um, yeah. And I, I, that's about all I know. I'm, I'm waiting for our, our girls to get settled into school before I get it up and running properly. But, uh, yeah, you can come along and try and hold me accountable and keep me honest. And we'll try and learn the word together if you're interested and available. That's great. Mark did say that was okay. Don't go. Don't go. So let's, let's, let's pray, shall we? Sarah, don't go. Stay with me. <laughs> shall we stand? And actually, I'm going to get Sarah to pray. Us. Thank you. <laughs> Father God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the, the time we've had in your presence. Thank you that it's by both your word and your spirit that we grow up into Christ. We pray that you would inspire us to keep pushing in for the deeper things of you and learning more and more, and that we wouldn't take for granted the word that you've given us that's already written out for us in the Bible, but that you would increasingly show us just how valuable that is to have that. Yeah. And you would help us in our weaknesses to study and to learn, and that we would truly encourage each other in this task.
And I pray for everyone as we go forward from here this week, that your hand would be upon us, that we would know your presence, and that even though we are weak, in you we are strong. Amen. Amen. And Lord, help us just hang on to the things that are valuable, to protect them, to do whatever it takes to protect the things that you've given us that are valuable. Lord, thank you. Amen. Well, thank you, everybody, for being with us. Thank you for those online.